Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses or your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. prom party hello i just burped really loud and i'm very thankful that i was not <laughs> recording yet because you would have all been very upset you've been extremely gassy lately i don't know what's going on with us we've been know. eating like hello fresh and sun basket we're just disgusting i guess yeah it, i mean we may have moved across the country but bj and harmony's house of farts and pheromones it made the move I so we had some people come and visit us just to like give us a housewarming gift a couple of weeks ago when we first moved. And as we were just standing there, like you had to bend over something and I was like, oh, I'm going to grab your butt. And I was like, oh, wait, like I can't just do that in public now. I think I've lost my ability to be a person because I don't know how to function like a normal human anymore. <laughs> Full disclosure, we were outside six feet apart. Like we weren't in anywhere because, oh, I know. you know, still in a pandemic. But yeah, straight up, it was like I bent over and she was like, I wanted to grab your butt, but I didn't because I forgot I'm in the outsides now. <laughs> I don't know how to be, I, I don't know how to separate private and personal life anymore. They've pretty much just become synonymous at this point. Yeah, time is meaningless, and so are personal boundaries, I guess. It's it's it's, it's a thing. It's fine. It it's, is, it's a it's thing. Fine. It's fine. Doesn't bother me any. Well, I'm really happy that you are all joining us today. We have a pretty cool uh, show for you today because it's an anniversary episode. But before we dive in, as always, there are a lot of ways that you can support the show. First one being that we have a Patreon patreon.com backslash this ends at prom we do minisodes commentary tracks um fun little you know listicles and things of that sort you can always get the schedule ahead of time lots of fun goodies that will always be exclusive to the patreon so it's not like we're gonna randomly be like oh just kidding we're dropping this cool private episode for the public like no <laughs> it's always for you all um as a thank you for supporting us and you know helping us keep the lights on Another way that you can support the show is by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it really does help us get onto the feeds of people who may not be already listening to us or who have never heard of us. And as an indie show, it really, really genuinely does help. And we are so, so thankful for every review that we get. Yeah, support your local indie podcast scene. <laughs> yeah. Is it possible to have like an indie podcast scene? scene it's, it's an all ages podcast show tickets are five dollars <laughs> at the door at the merch table is accepting card this time oh we got, we got 
what is it? Square? Square. Is that the program? Yeah, Square's program everybody uses. Oh, man. That would be really fun to go to, like an indie podcast. Like, there, there has to be like a festival for indie podcasts or something. Like, that's got to be a thing. Maybe. I think you could probably launch that when quarantine's over just because people are going to be desperate to go anywhere and everyone started a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, we sure did. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, whatever. It gave us something to do. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, speaking of podcasts, let's get into our podcast that we have. So today we are doing a anniversary episode for a quintessential teen classic. Um, this is the 35th anniversary. Uh-huh. Harmony, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about the third and final, you know, the, the Return of the Jedi, as it were, <laughs> Molly Ringwald movie from the John Hughes trilogy. I love Pretty in Pink. If you have not already listened to our episode on 16 Candles, might be a, an interesting one to, to listen to when we get done with this episode. It's be- dicey. It's really interesting to see just how much better this film aged in comparison. Yeah, well, I mean, it was like a, what, like a three-year difference? It wasn't a huge yeah, jump. Yeah, it really wasn't, but as far as like just... The, the context and the theming and the jokes, a lot changed in that time period. Yeah, but we actually have something fun and new we're going to try out here. Mm-hmm. So since this is an anniversary and, you know, it, we're, we really want to encapsulate the, the ambiance of the teen experience. The ambiance. The ambiance of what it was like to be a teen in 1986. We're going to look back on some of like, the big going-ons in uh, in the media world at the time. All right, lay it on me. What was going on for for the teens in 1986? Well, let's take a look at uh, the Billboard Hot 100. The number one single the week that this came out was uh, How Will I Know by Whitney Houston. Oh, great song. Yes, and just like looking down the list of like Mr. Mister and Billy Ocean and uh, That's What Friends Are For. Fun a- fact, I know... That's what friends are for in ASL because I got to do one of those fun like children's inspirational performances where we sang that song and then also performed uh, sign language. <laughs> so it was kind of like the, uh, the 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 hand butterflies from like yes. Napoleon Dynamite. Yes, it was just like that. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Well, that's quite a. You know what? I, I can't. I don't. I know like I no been sign an language. Inspirational so. teen in 1986. That's what I'm. You've been such to a say. cool after school special. <laughs> but I really love looking at this list because this soundtrack from Pretty in Pink is a really, really good film soundtrack. Yeah, this is a banging soundtrack, barring one song. But I'll get on that soapbox later. So just looking at like the Hot 100, you really have to scroll down to get to like anything even remotely similar to that because like. Conga by the Miami Sound Machine, not going to fit on this soundtrack. Life in a Northern Town by Dream Academy, almost. A perfect song, though. A damn perfect song. But yeah, the soundtrack to this is nothing like what was playing on the charts at the time. Mm -mm. But uh, you know what? Maybe uh, shortly thereafter, you would have like, If You Leave, Climb. I think that would hit number four. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at uh, some of the movie releases that came around this time. Oh, goodness. Uh, Teens were... Kind of a not not a lot of options for teens because you had such cinematic gems for your growing teen mind like nine and a half weeks. Great, <laughs> The Hitcher. 
hey, you know what? The Hitcher fucks. Yes, but it's not a teen movie. I would argue that horror as a genre in general tends to live and die by teens' opinions. Yeah, but I don't think of it as a teen movie in the way that like a slasher or the really, really big and successful that's ones true. are. I mean, there's a definitely like a teen lead in that, but yeah, that's I wouldn't classify that as a teen movie. The no. sequel, yes. The original, not as much, but continue. Uh, well, so similar in the horror genre, we have a terror vision. Absolutely a perfect film. That 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. They're wrong. <laughs> I love terror. I will fight all of the tomatoes. Uh, uh, House. Okay, yeah. Which also I know you love. Film. Uh, Delta Farce. Delta, Delta Force starring Chuck <laughs> Norris, not the Delta Farce starring Larry the Cable Guy. Uh, yeah, there, there's a few other things, but like those are some of the, the big hitters from this era. And uh, looking at... Teen Beat Magazine. Oh, Let's see who some of our heartthrobs were at the time. <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise. Oh, that aged well. Fabulous Fox fold out for Michael J. Fox. Okay, that did age well because Michael J. Fox can and always has been able to get it. He's, he's a handsome man. Mm-hmm. Romantic Ralph R- Macchio. Oh, uh, I sweep that leg. Rob Lowe. We tell the real story. Ooh. So yeah, those are what some What is of... the real story, Rob? Tell me. Well, from what I understand, there was an unofficial um, autobiography for Rob Lowe released around this time. Okay. And I think the real story is him setting the record straight. Aha. At least that's my inference from looking at several teen movie magazines. Drama co- from... <laughs> is what I'm learning. Yeah, this is, this is what things you learn when you're kind of just looking at the covers of various teen <laughs> tabloid rags. So when Pretty in Pink came out, this pretty much was the most tailor-made for teens option. Yeah. Okay. You get some later stuff in the year, like um, Top Gun. Which I would also argue is not really a teen look for teens. Teens were all about Top Gun, though. Yeah. Teen Boys, that was their jam. Ferris Bueller is definitely more of a teen thing. That would come out later in the year. Yeah. Okay. True, true. You'd have fewer things, but this is like the definite high school movie teen experience. And uh, it's easily the only one that's heavily tailored towards girls. Oh, totally. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the other stuff you were mentioning, I think, is very, very much boy heavy. So, all right. So, Pretty in Pink is kind of what we got, and it's it's an island of pink. <laughs> it's like, an it's, island. It's of alone pink. in a sea of blue. It is the one person who bet on girl at the gender reveal party, just with their single pink balloon. Also, Do friends bet. At- did yes. People bed? Yes. There are like bedding pools and stuff. The straights are never okay. Oh my God. I hate that. Yeah. Friends, if you're if you're listening out there, which I mean, if you hear this, then that means that you are, don't have gender reveal parties. One, they're archaic and transphobic. Two, people keep dying at them. So let's stop doing them. Yeah. This is pretty much one of your own like personal uh, vendettas. Is, you oh, want yeah. to eradicate the gender reveal party? I do. I actually had a tweet go viral the other day because it was like, you know, if you were writing Final Destination 6, what would your opening scene be? I'll start. It, uh, a circus fire. And I just wrote gender reveal party. And everyone was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I want mayhem and blue smoke. That's all I want. <laughs> so yeah, now that I'm off of that soapbox, let's get back into Pretty in Pink. Yeah, let's actually dive into this movie. Now that we have set the stage for... Of where we are. Where are we as a culture in America? <laughs> so taking a page from our friend Dango, 
Andy, Molly Ringwald, is an outcast at her Chicago high school, hanging out with either her older boss, Annie Potts, who owns the record store where she works, or her quirky classmate Ducky, John Cryer, who has a crush on her. That's it. That's all you're getting. Okay. I feel like there's, there's a lot missing there from that synopsis. No, there's no other romance in this movie. Yeah, let's not talk about... There's no classism in this movie. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about what, you know, the movie's actually about. Instead, let's just shine a light on uh, Ducky and... Corky. And uh, and Annie Potts, you know what? We can always shine a light on Annie Potts. She's perfect. I do love her. She's an incredible She's amazing. human being. So Harmony, what was your introduction or previous knowledge of this film before we watched it for the for the show? Well, I think I've seen every John Hughes movie. Certainly before he went and became like a baby's day out kind of shill. <laughs> like definitely yeah, yeah. seen all of his golden day stuff. But this is probably one of the fewer seen films in his catalog for me because I don't feel like this played that much on TV, which is where I would generally catch my John Hughes-isms. It was one of those things in our household where it's like, oh, you're scrolling through TV and, oh, well, we've come across this movie and you have to watch it every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was never one of those movies because it just was never playing. As I'm thinking about it, I also am not remembering seeing Pretty in Pink show up on like the TBS or the AMCs no, uh, growing up. It was always 16 Candles in the Breakfast Club, sometimes Ferris Bueller. Always Ferris Bueller. Um, so yeah. yeah, though, this is a, I, I'm wondering if it's because this was the one that was so distinctly a girl movie because other John Hughes films are at the very least, like, ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Even something like 16 Candles is not really a girl movie. It pretends it is, but it's totally, like, yeah, appeals to totally a lot of male a, sensibilities. Like a, a boy gross-out sex comedy that just happens to follow a girl at the same time. So everyone is like, ooh, it's groundbreaking. Yeah, but all of this stuff... I mean, go, if you want your thoughts on that one, go listen to yeah, that episode. Yeah, go listen episode. to that episode. <laughs> but we're not going to spend time talking about 16 Candles. We already did that for an hour and a half. So... I'm I'm familiar with a lot of the big moments of this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the try a little tenderness scene, the ending, some of the dialogue, uh, you know, very snappy kind of interactions. But like as far as the actual movie goes, a lot of this is is hazy aside mm -hmm. from just the iconography of it for me. What I think is really interesting is the two things that are really kind of popping in my head as far as remembering this movie outside of actually watching it because full disclosure, this is my favorite of the John Hughes and Molly Ringwald trilogy mm -hmm. um, by kind of a lot. Okay. But outside of just my own personal affinity for the film, I'm remembering that there was discussions on this on VH1. I love the eighties. Yeah. They talked about this movie. They covered about every John Hughes yeah, movie really probably did. on that. Um, I was all about the, I love things same i'll watch whatever freaking dumb countdown listicle stupid show vh1 did back in the day because i was severely behind on culture yeah and then ended up watching shows about stuff that wasn't relevant at the time <laughs> so that would explain why i'm an old person now <laughs> yeah i remember that and then i also remember that there was a like some sort of like columbia 
films or one of those like Paramount films, something something or other commercials that would play at the beginning of movies that I liked. Uh-huh. And it was set to We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's. Mm-hmm. And I remember that there were clips from like Pretty in Pink. And one of the clips was also from Dead Man on Campus. And I don't know why those are the two clips that I can remember. And I can't remember anything else from that commercial. But I remember the flipping of the... Uh, the flipping of the chalkboard from Dead Man on Campus and then like the reveal of Andy in her pink dress. And that's all I remember from that commercial, but it is burned into my memory. I don't know what Dead Man on Campus is. Oh, we'll cover that for the Patreon sometime. That's a teen boy movie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you just saying that like I should know and I'm like, I'll just sit, I'll just sit here and look pretty. I just... <laughs> I don't know what this is. Yeah, it's a fun one. Okay. But I think you're onto something in terms of this one not getting replay because it's the most distinctly girl movie. Mm-hmm. And again, that just sort of uh, continues to enforce why we have this show because movies meant for teen girls get shit on and forgotten about and pushed aside. And that's stupid. Yeah. And that's a big problem with the 80s as far as like nostalgia or retrospective stuff kind of goes because you think about a lot of like the big franchises or films or whatever that came out of the 80s and it's all teen boy stuff is that's all fondly remembered like oh yeah but like ninja turtles and transformers and top gun back to the future all these cool things but it's like gem pretty Mm -hmm. in pink eh Care Bears? Well, I mean, fuck the Care Bears, kind of. But, you know, <laughs> like that's for babies. But that's kind of the point of this whole podcast is that we don't really give due respect for girl media. And, you know, 35 years on, there's not a lot of stuff that's going to be regarded as well as Pretty in Pink. Yeah. Just seeing what else was out at the time, it was it was a bit of a wasteland. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I really find it disappointing because... This one this one is is my favorite and a big part of it is because I love Andy so much. So mm-hmm. I'm curious what do you think of Andy? I like her the most of the three Molly Ringwald characters mm-hmm. in the John Hughes films because I don't really feel like it's possible to evaluate her without just comparing her to right, other kind of Molly Ringwalds. To. It's just how it is. But in 16 Candles she's a little bit of a blank slate. And she's she's a little hard to relate to because she's very, very young, mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of age and just kind of how she acts. She's a bit on the immature side. Then you have Claire and nobody is Claire, Claire in The Breakfast Club. And you're not really supposed to like Claire. She's kind of the worst. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every, you kind of end up liking everyone by the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you don't forgive Claire for giving Ali Sheedy a makeover that she did not deserve. Oh, God. I'm is it a bad look? No, but it's not her. Yes. So um, Andy is by far the most likable. She's Agreed. also the most capable because she is the only one who is um, not coming from money. Uh, yeah, that's a huge part of it. <laughs> and yeah. she's also got um, that survivalist wit is what I would call it. Uh-huh. Um, and it's that sense of humor and sharpness that is developed as a personality trait that you need when you are somebody who is either coming from a lower social status or perhaps you are deemed conventionally unattractive mm-hmm. or whatever. It's kind of like that whole thing about like fat girls have great personalities. Um, 
there's some truth to that shit because you can't coast by on your looks yes yeah and you can't coast by on your money Mm -hmm. so it's a survival tactic that has to be developed of well i have to be funny or i have to be smart or i have to be witty or whatever and andy definitely has that i think she is the most personable of all of the molly ringwald characters Mm -hmm. i mean even just looking at her compared to like her classmates in this movie they're all of the the mean girls uh the popular ones that are like this malibu barbie blonde and they're all not very clever. They're just snotty mm-hmm. and snippy and unpleasant. So, like, there's there's nothing smart or interesting about them. You're just like, oh, yeah, you suck. You suck because you're a rich blonde and you're a bitch. Right. Which, I mean, I have, like, weird feelings about the idea that, like, having money makes you inherently an asshole. But in this situation, we're also learning that money doesn't have to make you an asshole. No, but these people, but plenty these people of them are happen choosing to, to be yeah. pretty and blonde and wealthy and assholes. Yeah. They're not having to break that trend because there's no reason for them to. Yeah, and I and I would also say that this movie has to me the worst villains of all of the John Hughes not in terms of I think that they're Badly crafted. written, but just the meanest. No, they're the meanest. Yeah. Like they're fucking brutal. Yeah. And we'll we'll get to them in a little bit. But as far as somebody who's not brutal, I want to talk about Andy's main love interest, mm-hmm. who's rich and not an asshole. What do you think of Blaine? That's an appliance. <laughs> that's not a name, that's an appliance. Uh he's extremely charming and just has like a beautiful face. He's not like super macho in any way but like he's just pretty something that some people might not know is that molly ringwald actually pushed pretty heavily for andrew mccarthy to have the role of blaine because he's sort of the anti-jake ryan Uh and that he's not this like strong jawed like very classically handsome man Uh but he's so endearing and cute that uh Molly had said, like, oh, he's absolutely somebody I would have fallen in love with in high school. Yeah. Because just look at Andrew McCarthy and those blue eyes and those soft features and that just very sincere smile. He's so fucking cute. I love Blaine. He he is. He's He's got very beautiful eyes and the personality just, like, fills up and pours over and just trickles down to his lovely smile. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like James Marsden, but if you took all of, like, the macho out of him... And just left him with, like, a cute soft boy. He reminds me a lot of James Marsden in Sugar and Spice if he wasn't a himbo. Oh, yeah. Where he's he's not as stupid as that character. No. But he's equally as well-intentioned. Yeah, he's he's very innocent and pure. I uh, I gotta say, when you get the introduction of him at the record store... You can tell he's flirting. He's trying so hard and doing such a terrible job. Yeah, but like I love their exchanges because she is so sassy with him. She's fucking done. She's like, I'm not dealing with this today. Like she, he comes rolling up with whatever like an 80s version of like a Neil Sedaka record is. <laughs> like I'm, I'm gonna judge. I don't know who this man was on this album. Maybe I couldn't he's tell you his name. Super talented. Uh, sure, great, whatever. So is Kenny G. I don't need to listen to him. <laughs> I'm gonna just judge him and assume he is probably like the most 
white bread, stale, easy listening, unbearable top 40 shit that like. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's probably the most insufferable that guy. Like, I don't know. His music plays at like dentist office. Mm -hmm. And he comes up and is like, you know, is this record good? And she just like, oh, yeah, it's hot shit. It's really, really good. Just absolutely fantastic. And he just buys it on faith of like. Yeah, well, you know what? You, you, I'm going to call your bluff. I'm actually going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and, I mean, when you have that kind of money, like, because he seems to, you know, he's he's the rich kid, so he probably has a very disposable income. Yeah, it was probably like $2 based yeah. on like, I think he got like seven fifty back, so it's probably like nothing anyway, because right. who would want to buy this? So I'm looking up <laughs> what he bought, because now I just, I need to know. Apparently, it's someone named Steve Lawrence. Steve Lawrence. That's rock and roll right there. Yeah. Steve Lawrence was also part of a group that was Edie and Steve, and they sang Golden Hits. Um, I don't think Golden Hits is a good sign. I don't know. He seems to have been somebody who was, like, really cool in probably, like, the 50s, and then later in life did just did very uh, interesting choices for, uh, for, for what he... Uh, wanted to record yeah you're you're like you can you can get him doing steve lawrence sings sinatra cool or he has another album that's songs everybody knows great <laughs> so yeah this is uh that's in a dollar bin somewhere yeah that's you know what if i ever find it like maybe i'll keep in mind maybe you're gonna buy maybe it maybe i'll pick it up out of a dollar bin sometime whenever i'm allowed to touch records in the wild again well the album is called take it home <laughs> You know what? I will take it home. There you go. That's how it's going to be. That's what Blaine did. He took that album home. Yeah. And I'm sure. What do you think he did with it? Did he listen to it? Or do you think he like bought it and then immediately chucked it? Uh, He absolutely listened to it because he came back to complain about it later. That's true. Okay. He was just like, yeah, no, I wasn't really feeling that thing. (laughs) Maybe you could give something a little hotter. And she just goes, "Mm, Lionel Richie. And it's just like, oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that album I got the other day. Tom. What? The record. Oh, the I, record. Yeah, I thought it was a little too, uh... Too hip, maybe? Yeah, a little too hip. Well, uh... Think you can recommend something else for the less political or something? Lionel Richie? Yeah. No, uh, well... Hmm. Tina Marie? Madonna? Madonna? Yeah, Madonna. It's awfully deep. Yeah, very deep. But she's got such great style. I just have such an affinity for Blaine because I love boys that try. And mm-hmm. he really does try. He's not the best at reading the room. No, he's awful at it. Um, and I think that is very much coming from the fact that he's rich and the fact that he's white and the mm-hmm. fact that he's pretty. And it's probably never been in a situation where he didn't know how to read the room because everyone in the room is the same people that he's been around his entire life. Yes, and this is actually something I commented on, and we had a conversation about this. We had to pause the movie and have this conversation Mm -hmm. where when they're first chatting over the computers in the library, (laughs) yes, and he like just hijacks her computer and is like, who's Ducky? Do you know who this is? And it's like, oh my God, this is a horror movie. Yeah, this is the opening of Scream. That's what we're watching right now. It's just like, oh my God, so if... (laughs) If this is just taking place in a pre-internet time when the internet was like kind of novel and not scary and mm-hmm. these computers just happen to be linked, it's like, okay, cool. Well, it's probably someone in this room. But in any other circumstance, this is terrifying. And he's just like 
doing all these weird little things and is not really good at not being horribly creepy. And your argument was, yeah, this was the period where we started to recognize how creepy this was. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know yet because this wasn't a thing to the degree that it is yet. We had not yet established that harassing somebody into a yes was not cool yet that was still like oh she's playing hard to get what is it that story that like you hear everyone's grandpa tell just like oh she wouldn't go out with me so i asked her 50 times and on the 51st one she said yes and we've been married for 60 years yeah it's that bullshit yeah and you know this is like you said like technology was novel and cool so it was probably like oh my gosh how did he send me my picture that's so cool whereas today if somebody was like hey i texted you here's a picture of you i I can see you you call the police (laughs) oh i fucking had something like that happen one time when i was on a dating site where this not okay yeah i was on okay cupid well that's your first mistake yeah well (laughs) i i wasn't looking for sex and i i was under the assumption that tinder was only for sex and then i met someone and got married to them so like that fucked up my whole impression of that site uh yeah but i think i was mostly in the right to assume that tinder is primarily for hookups I mean, we were supposed to be casual, and then we fucked that up real hard. Yeah, I know. Exactly. See? (laughs) So this guy messages me when I was at work, and I, like, ran across the street to the gas station because I was like, I'm just going to go to Arizona. I need a little little pick-me-up, a little more sugar. And this guy messages me going, hey, I just saw you. Like, you're so hot. Is that where you work? And I'm like, in what world, sir, do you think this is an okay thing to message someone? Yeah, why is this... No, this is not cute. It's like, what? I was just saying you're sexy. That doesn't mean it's about sex. I'm like, that is what that means. <laughs> God, yeah. So that, yeah, you know, that behavior hadn't been established as being creepy yet. So I I have to give Blaine a little bit of the benefit of it out there. I know. It just reads weird in it, post. Yes. Which, that's the thing, is there's a lot of things about this movie that read weird in retrospect. Mm-hmm. But having the context of 1986 is really, really important for us. Yes, agreed. Because I think we see that the most when Blaine takes Andy to the party at the, like the rich house. And, uh, it looks like the fanciest sorority house kind of thing. Yeah, It looks like a fucking bank. Yeah, it's exactly. It's got like freaking marble pillars, pillars, essentially in a fancy foyer. Like it's one of those establishments. Yeah. (laughs) I always say that it looks like, like houses like that always just make me think of Allison's house from Hocus Pocus where they walk in and they're just like, Whoa. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's the house that they're dealing with. But that is when I think Blaine is at his most like, oh, you lovable idiot. Because she's clearly so uncomfortable. Yeah, she doesn't want to be so at this. so out of place. She doesn't want to be at this party. And she just wants to kind of go anywhere else. But he's just like, no, you can meet my friends. It'll be okay. Like, it'll be fine. And when she gets more uncomfortable, he goes, do you want to just go upstairs? And she's like, I don't want to hook up with you. And he's like, that's not what I mean. Right. It's like, and then they end up, <laughs> And then they end up going into a room where people are just making out and slinging slurs and he's not like we should get up and go he's just like well we'll just let this ride it'll be fine even though she is clearly so uncomfortable yeah it's like uh again you lovable idiot i see what you're trying to do you're trying to be like well if we coast through this and like they'll leave and then we can you know just sit and talk and it'll be fine but it's like no like abort mission like Mm -hmm. get out of there but he just this is a thing. I, he's been living with all of this like privilege and whatever forever that he's so desensitized to that behavior mm-hmm. that we're seeing from like Steph that he doesn't recognize like how upsetting this is for her. And something that's always really weird 
that I, I've had to explain to people before because like, so when I was teaching, I taught in like, quote unquote, inner city schools. Mm-hmm. And they never understood like why it was always uncomfortable when my students would go on field trips or to different schools outside of the district. And I'm like, well, because they're going somewhere where it's a constant reminder of like, hey, there are people who have more than you. Or maybe they're schools where like they don't realize that other schools don't look like this, mm-hmm. you know? And they should have that- watched Take the Lead. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> um, but that alone is uncomfortable. Like that adjustment for people who come from like like lower income households being thrust into situations where they're now surrounded by people with money mm-hmm. is so uncomfortable. I still get very uncomfortable mm-hmm. in those situations because I don't understand the social rules there. Can I touch this? Um, is this going to break? Is this worth something? I don't know what to do with my hands. That's like, how gets... I feel when I even like visit like nice cities. Yeah. I, I and I'll be like, oh my God, it. Boston's so much cleaner than Cleveland. I feel like I'm just people are like, ew, you're rubbing your Midwest dirt on our clean city. I'm like, no. <laughs> right. And like, so Andy's already on edge because she's in like this environment that she doesn't understand or understand like those like different social rules or whatever that exists. Mm-hmm. So it's uncomfortable. And then on top of that, they're dealing with people like Steph. So let's talk about Steph a little bit. James Spader. He is the absolute worst person. Like, irredeemably, he's just the worst. Yeah. Weirdly enough, at that party, he is not the worst one in the room. No, Benny is the worst. His girlfriend is the worst. Yeah. I mean, she shows up at this party and gets insulted by three people in two minutes. Yeah. Like, it's immediately hostile, but... Steph is actually not the horrible one. Yeah. So somehow Benny is so awful and evil because we've talked before about how, you know, John Hughes movies and just movies from the 80s and 90s and 2000s and all movies at some point age poorly in terms of like acceptable language usage. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of movies from the 80s where, like, someone is like, oh, what are you, a fag? Burr, burr, burr. And <laughs> it's just kind of like a throwaway, like, it's upsetting. But Benny, like, looks at Blaine as, like, what are you, a faggot? And, like, is so... Pops. Pops that Pops tea. the tea. It's like, like, faggot. And you're like, like God! Like, it's, it's very pointed. It's so pointed and it's so aggressive. And it, like, that's obviously something that I've just kind of purged from my brain. Oh, yeah. We, uh, well, I mean, I'm sure that part did not make the TV edit. Probably not. On the rare occasions it would air. But... You and I were so rocked by that and going like, whoa, that we almost didn't catch that she immediately drops like the R slur right after that. Yeah, it was unreal. And it was just one of those moments where like, wow, that one was, that one was hurtful. Like, that was, that was very intense. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, yeah, she's the worst one. But overall, Steph is a atrocious human being. He is... He's the reason Peak. that all of the Ugh. conflict in this movie exists. Oh, God. I, I hate him so much. And here's the thing about Steph. And I've been saying this for quite some time about, honestly, most characters that James Spader has played. <laughs> I want to hate fuck Steph so badly. Not because I'm like, ooh, you're sexy and this would be fun for me. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. The reason that I want to hate fuck Steph is because I already know that much like the, the age-old stereotype of, you know, the rich, cool guy secretly wants the art freak. Which he does. 
which he does because he does show interest in Andy because he can't have her and that frustrates him because he's someone who's never been told no before. I want to hate fuck Steph because I want to rock his world. I want to just destroy him sexually. I want to make him come so hard that he's ruined with sex for the rest of his life. So then when he goes off and he marries someone like Benny, who is traditionally beautiful and perfect and has tons of money. His nice little arm candy. His nice little perfect trophy wife arm candy that he is unsatisfied for the rest of his life because God damn it, the best sex he ever had was with that fat, dykey liberal. That's what I want. I love how much you just want to sexually destroy Republicans. I want to. And the thing is, I know that I have. I know that there's at least like two people from high school that they are now married with their live, laugh, love households. And they probably go to sleep at night and go, oh, God damn. But junior year, I'm never going to get that back. (laughs) And you're right. You won't. And that is your punishment for being a bigot, you motherfucker. And that's what I want to do to Steph. Um, that's nice. <laughs> I I just really would prefer him 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 have a bad life, but I know he's going but to that's succeed. The thing. He we know that he's going he to won't. succeed. He's going to get elected to the fucking Supreme Court. That's what happens to yeah, people like him. He'll have a nice frat house with lots of money and get into his Ivy League school and get fast tracked to a good corporation and mm-hmm. just be set for life because mm-hmm. that's the kind of world he lives in. See, and that's why I've got to play. I've got to play three D chess with that shit. Yeah, and th- th- because we need to talk about the conflict that is all Steph's fault. Yes, which I assume his name is short for Stefan. Probably, but I also love the fact that his name is Steph and his girlfriend's name is Benny. That's yeah. fun. And also Andy. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of... There's a lot of gender fuckery names yeah. in this. And then just whatever Ducky is. Phil. <laughs> I know, but Ducky. But yeah. Like, there's a lot of just peculiar names. Yeah. Choices for this, which I love. Um, we need to, like, address the conflict that is his fault, which is basically him in his dad's bougie moral oral study. <laughs> in that red room. That yes. terrifying red room. Yes. Well, it's red because they're Republicans. It's fine. And <laughs> yay. And because maybe they kill people in there and it hides the blood. Who knows? Also very possible. But it's basically him having a his own come to Jesus moment mm-hmm. where he's basically saying like, hey, uh, you could get a million chicks that are better than her. Like, what's the point? You don't need to be slumming it with like this gutter trash, whatever fucking th- sentiment he shares. And he pretty much just says like hey you're gonna lose all your social standing and your friends because i won't be friends with you if you go ahead and get with this girl which that's just you know elitist classist bullshit but also it's jealousy oh for sure is it jealousy yeah well it's both it's def like it's definitely both though Mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's pretty much where all of our uh third act conflict comes where we then have sweet little baby blaine with tears in his eyes, being subjected to, honestly, one of the best PG-13 fucks I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Where he is just getting slammed against the locker, just being berated by Andy. Because she is convinced that he hates her because she doesn't have money. Yeah. And because he saw, like, how poor she is and doesn't, doesn't want to be with her anymore. I want to hear you say it. 
A month ago, I asked somebody else and I forgot. You're a liar! You're a filthy fucking no-go liar! You didn't have the guts to tell me the truth! Just say it! I'm not lying. Tell me! What? Tell me! What do you want to hear? Just tell me! What? You're ashamed to be seen with no, me. No, I am You're not. ashamed to go not. out with me. You're afraid. No, You're terrified that your goddamn rich friends won't approve. Just say it. Just tell me the truth. You don't understand that it. it has nothing at all to do with you. Well, She's convinced that's what it is. There's, there's two parts of that that I like. So one, I like the fact that on that first night where he takes her to the rich house, and she's so uncomfortable that she wants to leave. We again have a, oh, you lovable idiot moment mm -hmm. because she says, I want to leave. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, do you want me to take you home? And she goes, no, I don't want you to take me home. And that's the way she phrases it. I don't want you, I don't want you to take me home. Well, she's saying like, hey, drop me off at like the train tracks near my house or whatever. Um, I think she says actually like go to, no, she goes to tracks like the record store uh, tracks. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. well, my bad. <laughs> yeah. I heard wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's like take me to tracks. And he's like, why? She's like, I got something to do. And he's like, it's late. No, you don't. Like, so he knows that she's lying. Like, she doesn't need mm -hmm. to go back to work. But he's not picking up on her saying, I don't want you to take me home. Mm -hmm. Like, he, it's not clicking with him. But she's then like, he's like, well, we could, you know, go to my house. She's like, no, I don't want to go there. You know, I don't want to go out. I don't want to do anything. But I don't want you to take me home. And, like, you and I are sitting there like, oh, she doesn't want him to see where she lives. Well, we know. we That's because we know that. Right. Because we know that's, that's uh, I don't want you to see where I live line is so sad and yes. very distinct. But she's not uh, – she's really skirting what she's saying. She's and skirting he's it. And dense. But, like, we picked up on it beforehand because we're like, oh, yeah, no, we're poor kids. We know how this works. I, I was I was a middle class yeah, kid. Yeah, you were a middle class I was a lower kid. middle yeah. class kid. But it's like, we, you know, we picked up on it and he didn't because that is the kind of thought that would never have entered his mind of the idea of being ashamed of where you live mm -hmm. or, you know, being uncomfortable with where you live or people knowing where you live. That's not a thing for him. So this whole time, like, she's trying so hard not to say what we know don't, she wants to say. Don't say the quiet part out loud. Yeah, don't say the quiet part out loud. And it's just like, oh, God. So then when it finally does come out, you it know, just, like. It's an explosion. Mm -hmm. She's reached critical mass, and it's just very heartbreaking. And, oh, God, it just hurts my soul because I've definitely been there, and that sucks. Mm -hmm. um, so for her to have had that moment with him, and then when she does just, like, fucking lose it on him in that hallway, she doesn't say like, you know, oh, you you know, you think I'm a piece of shit or whatever. She says, you're ashamed of me. Mm -hmm. Like she brings out shame. And that to me, like that's like that. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Uh-huh. You know, she's not berating and him. He's just, he's just falling apart. And it's so sad. Oh, yeah. His sweet baby blues. Yeah. And then she even calls out like. Like, you're terrified that your rich friends wouldn't approve. Like, she's really pulling all of the emotions out that, like, most people, especially men, don't ever admit to having, which is fear and shame. Yeah, and if she was having a conversation with probably any of the other, you know, fancy yacht club kids at her school, she'd be totally right. Mm-hmm. Because they are, you know, being class tourists who just think, oh, I'm going to slum it with the, the poor redhead girl for a little bit. And then mm -hmm. you just mm, get my get my jollies and then move on. Yeah. If this was anyone else, she probably would have been right. Yeah. And I think that um, 
you know, Blaine is just like, no, I'm not. And he's like, he's trying, but he also doesn't really know what to say. Because again, he's just a, a lovable idiot mm-hmm. and doesn't know how to really broach this. Well, this I mean, how, what are you going to say? Like, hey, I'm choosing my shitty friend over you. Right. You can't just say that because then it makes it worse. Yeah, you can't say that. And you also can't in that moment unpack like. You know, an entire lifetime of socialization. Well, yeah, he's probably also never thought about his feelings, because why would he have to? Yeah, why would he? He's just flying by the seat of his pants. I like this girl. I'm going to go on a date with her. Cool. That's it. Yeah. That's as much as I thought about this. Yep. Not taking into consideration, what does this mean for you? What cultural differences are you going to have to unpack by pursuing this? Mm -hmm. And also, by extension, now what is your culture going to think of you? And that's a really weird thing that I think a lot of people are afraid of, which is why so many people have a tendency to, as the saying would go, don't go chasing waterfalls and just stick to the lakes and the rivers they're used to. Mm -hmm. I think it's because people are either afraid to navigate, you know, those, those new waters, so to speak, or they don't realize that there are other options outside of the fish in their own pond. Mm-hmm. I used a lot of metaphors. I'm proud of it. I'm keeping them. <laughs> Go for it. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, because if Andy were to stick to the fish in her own pond. She would end up with Ducky. A ducky in the pot. <sighs> <laughs> it worked. It came full circle. I'm so proud of this setup. I did not plan this. But the second it went, I- I'm just good. Anyway. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. So yes, um, Ducky, what do we do with Ducky? Well, I look at Ducky kind of in two different ways. Okay. The first one's the the, the pretty surface level 2021 read, which is uh, Ducky is very, very charming. Mm-hmm. He's very likable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a wicked style. Oh, yeah. Respect that drip. Yeah. Like, there's so much, like, iconic fashion that I am sure the TikTok kids, like, all all of the Zoomers would be about Andy and Ayana and Ducky's style. Oh, yeah. For it's sure. all fantastic. But Ducky in particular, like, he says all the wrong things, and yet I'm still sitting there going, yeah, but I like you. Mm-hmm. And... When he doesn't get his way, when Andy decides, oh, I'm going to go out with Blaine, he has a fucking meltdown. And I'm like, oh, Ducky is 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 one bad day away from writing a manifesto. Like, Ducky mm-hmm. is an 80s incel. Mm-hmm. And if he had found other guys in, like, a chat room somewhere or on Reddit mm-hmm. in 1986, he would be pushed to the dark side. Yeah. So... That's the easy read with Ducky, and that's the one that's ugly, and I don't like it, and I don't want to subscribe to it. My preferred read of Ducky is that he is a big old gay. <laughs> I am convinced. I've never noticed it before. I've never thought it before. Great. I haven't seen this movie in probably like fifteen years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Certainly not since high school. And there was a lot of weird things I was picking up about Ducky, where I'm like, you. You're very obsessed with fashion mm-hmm. and you paint your nails. And granted, like with the new wave scene of the air, like the early to mid 80s, there's a lot of gender, a lot of gender bending stuff going on. But a lot of that gender bending stuff is with people who were 
queer. Right. Like they were the ones who were really popularizing it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Ducky's like a feminine movements and stuff like that. It, it, It definitely scans like, oh, you, you're in love with your best friend because this is the only woman in your life and you need a beard. Yeah. That's, that's how I see this now. And I like that better because I think it gives him a lot more sympathy and character motivation than he's just an entitled dick, mm-hmm. especially because the movie doesn't want you to think he's an entitled dick. It wants you to like Ducky. So what's interesting is originally the ending was that Andy does end up with Ducky. Yes. And audiences, you know, test audiences, I should say, rejected it. And that's why they went with the ending with Andy ending up with Blaine. Mm-hmm. I also think that when you watch the movie, it makes way more sense for them to end up together. Yeah, just imagine watching this movie and they end up with Ducky and then all of this framing from like, you know, the first two thirds of the film. Of him throwing tantrums and acting like a fucking asshole. Yeah, it's like, how does this set up that you're just going to forgive him and end up with him? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it really doesn't work. But what's interesting is going back to like the Isle of the 80s stuff that we were talking about Mm -hmm. is... This is kind of the OG, like, Team Edward, Team Jacob shit. Uh-huh. Is that some people were very much Team Blaine, but there are so many people that are Team Ducky. And I agree with you in that there are the two reads of Ducky. Uh-huh. So if we read him as straight, Ducky is a walking red flag. I mean, he's calling her nonstop, leaving voicemails nonstop, uh-huh. timing them, which, you know, lets us know just how creepy it is because they're like four to five minutes apart. Yeah, but that's just a shit you did in the 80s. Like, old people still do that with voicemails they leave nowadays. No, I understand, like, why he's doing it. I know, but as as a device for us to figure yes. out when they're from, yes. But when we're, you know, listening to her, listening to her messages, hoping there's one from Blaine, and it's like, hey, Ducky here, it's 6.05. Hey, Ducky again, it's 6.10. Hey, Ducky again, it's 6.14. It's like, gee... Wow. So calm it down. There's there the two biggest red flags about Ducky aside from just his emotional outbursts. If you look at this man mm-hmm. and you look at his bedroom, <laughs> he does not have a bed frame. I know. <laughs> which I will give him the benefit of the doubt because he is like he's a supposed poor to be kid. poor, yes. Fine, I can understand that. I will give him a pass. But in general, rule of thumb: don't trust don't a grown ass <laughs> man who does not have a bed frame. Don't fuck men who don't have bed frames. Like that's that's the, thing the is, rule. There's a lot of things where you see Ducky's room and he's like spray painted on the wall and he's just sitting on his bed on the floor. And there's a lot of men I know who's just like, how do men live like this? Yeah. <laughs> like I've gone over to people's houses who are like twenty some years old and they have like a single lazy boy with a TV sitting on a milk crate Mm -hmm. and then they're like PS4 and that's how their living room is with nothing else. I've seen people who live like this. And there's a huge difference though between people who just do not have the means versus people that are like, it's fine. Why would I need anything else? And I'm like, you're on a They're grown ass adults who definitely make enough money to have more furnishings than that. But they're just like, no, it works. It's a red flag. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) So- that's that's the one where it's like, okay, I'll give Ducky a pass, but in general, that sets off those things in 2021, looking back on it, it's mm-hmm. just like, ooh, that scans differently these days. Mm-hmm. But two, but two, the Pretty in Pink soundtrack is one of the best soundtracks of the 80s. BJ, do you happen to know what song closes out the soundtrack to Pretty in Pink? I do, but I want you to have to say it with your own mouth because I want to watch the face of disgust as it rolls off your tongue. 
the closing song on this soundtrack is Please, Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want by The Smiths, the ultimate entitled whiny shithead sad boy Morrissey. (laughs) And I fucking hate him. And that really just tells you everything you need to know about the kind of person Ducky is. And whilst I am here... Fuck Morrissey and anybody there who's saying like, well, you can like the Smiths and not like Morrissey. It's like, no, those are his shitty sad boy entitled crap opinions where he's saying like, oh, well, just a few bad days can turn a good man into a bad man. And it's like, who are you, the fucking Joker? God damn it. I hate you. Like, no, those lyrics are Morrissey. He's always been this way. I am sick of all of you giving him a fucking pass because, wow, the Smiths got me through high school. You're a fucking adult now. (laughs) Move on. (laughs) Anyway, there's several red flags about Ducky. (laughs) Well, I think that... (laughs) Jesus. I feel like I just witnessed the monologue of a supervillain origin story. I am not the villain here. (laughs) Okay, you're right, you're right. I am the hero. Morrissey is the racist shithead villain. (laughs) Oh, God. Johnny Marr is fine. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Yeah, I think that... The emotional outbursts for me are are the big ones that are the the red flag for me, you know, because once Andy shows that she's going on the date with Blaine, you know, he he freaks out and and yells and is like, "Well, you know, if he breaks your heart, like I'm not going to be here for you. I'm not going to be your friend." Mm-hmm. And it's like that is some territorial just nonsense bullshit. Because I'm going out with Blaine doesn't mean I can't be friends with you. I mean, it doesn't change the way I feel about you. Oh, that's very nice. I'm, I'm glad. Here's, here's the point, Annie. I'm, not, I'm not particularly concerned with whether or not you like me. Cause I live to like you, and 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 I can't like you anymore. So, so when you get your heart splattered all over hell, and and you're feeling really low and dirty, don't don't look to me to help pump you back up. Cause, 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 cause maybe for the first time in your life, I won't be there. I can't believe you're actually saying this. Well, I guess that's just tough shit. What's upsetting to me is how many people to this day still think that Andy and Ducky should be together mm-hmm. after seeing all of this behavior. And the unfortunate reality is that Ducky as a character has become this, I one, just kind of a trope. I mean, he's mocked relentlessly in Not Another Teen Movie. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I make little Jenny hairballs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they they really, I mean, they captured the energy of straight Ducky. Yes. And really went to town. Which, honestly, Ooh. that's a, it's a fair criticism of this character. Because but, we know in hindsight that, like, no. Yeah, we, we reference Not Another Teen Movie a lot. And we're going to have to cover yeah, it at some will. point. And I've. Don't know how much most of the humor is going to hold up because I don't I don't trust the scary movie guys to actually mm-hmm. be funny, but uh, I think that mar- part might still hit the mark. Yeah, I will. I mean, we'll find out one day. But uh, during the the movie's thirtieth anniversary, like a lot of retrospectives and think pieces came out as you know as you do as you do. But the one that I like the most is by Kevin Smokler or Smokler. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. 
but it's for Salon and it's called The Trouble with Ducky, How Pretty in Pink's Most Lovable Character Gave a Generation of Teen Boys the Wrong Idea. And this article is amazing. It'll be in the show notes, but I'm going to read a couple excerpts from it that I think are really relevant. Okay. So first off is how it opens, which is find me an American adult who identifies with Blaine McDonough, Andrew McCarthy's character in 1986 is pretty in pink, and I'll show you a giraffe wearing a prom dress. I love that this is how the article opens because he's right. Nobody wants to identify as Blaine. Nobody wants to identify as Blaine because if you identify as Blaine, then you're admitting like, hey, I'm super privileged and handsome and have money and I've never had like any issues to work through in my life. Is this like those rich people like Elon Musk who's like, my favorite movie of the year was Parasite. Yeah, where you're like... Where you can only enjoy stuff like this if you realize that you're the problem and they're just totally aloof to that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a part of it. Um, and you know, he furthers on by saying to identify with a privileged dreamboat like Blaine, even though McCarthy plays him with great sensitivity and longing feels like either be <laughs> feels either like being too proud of being rich, popular and handsome yourself, or like cheering for big tobacco in a class action lawsuit. <laughs> Instead, a generation of American male teenagers, me included, saw themselves in Ducky, charming, quirky, and overlooked. Ducky belonged to an elite gang of best friends. Pretty in Pink screenwriter John Hughes made the beating heart of his 80s teen filmography. Cameron Fry in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Farmer Ted in Sixteen Candles, and Watson Some Kind of Wonderful. Characters who embodied the pain of being young and not yet able to be honest about your own desires. So I, I think that's I, a lot of Ducky's problem. It's it's a huge problem is that he's not being honest about what's going on and then he's acting like a fucking like child because he's not getting what he wants, but he's not communicating what he wants. Yes. And I think probably the most important scene in this movie that doesn't have Andy or Blaine in it mm-hmm. is actually between Ducky and Andy's dad. Which is like looking into a bizarro world, like mirror into the future yes. if he doesn't get his shit together. Yeah, because he's having a conversation with him basically saying like, oh, hey, I, I really love your daughter and I want to marry her one day. And dad just goes, well, have you told her that? And he's like, uh, well, not not yet. Just really waiting for my moment. I'm just kind of mm-hmm. really trying to, to re- just, it, it'll happen. Don't worry. And... Dad is still not over the fact that his wife left him a few years ago, just up in, in, in like, Vamoost. Mm-hmm. And yet he's giving advice he should be listening to by saying, like, well, I, you can't force it to happen. Either it will or it won't. Mm-hmm. And he's just a depressed drunk who refuses to get a job. Mm-hmm. And, like, oh, yeah, Ducky, that's going to be you. This is, you're, You have this wicked obsession that is going to end up driving your friend away. And then you're going to just be destitute. Well, and I'm glad that you bring up that conversation because you're like, you know, he's a drunk who's refusing to get a job. Like, he's refusing to move on yeah. and accept the reality that, like, his wife is not coming he back. Likes to be, he likes to wallow in his misery, kind of like people who like the Smiths. <laughs> but Ducky's also doing the same thing because we also get the reveal that he's intentionally failing his classes because he doesn't want to accept the reality and move on. Mm-hmm. He wants to live in this perfect world where he's with Andy all the time and like i'm sorry dude like she's gonna go to college she's gonna get a scholarship she's going to move on yeah she's succeeding and he's gonna be mm-hmm. just stuck here forever mm-hmm. thinking he's superior to everyone kind of like morrissey that's the last time i'm gonna do that but <laughs> he's kind of just being the worst version of your friend because you're gonna have people like 
Steph, who he's not going to peak in high school, but like he's not going to get better than he was in high school. Yeah. And then you have Ducky, who is also not going to get better than he is in high school. And it's like this purgatory that everyone's going to kind of end up in. Mm -hmm. And Andy is trying to break out of. Yes. And that's what I think I love so much about her because systemic issues and class issues, those exist. Mm -hmm. And that does mean that shit is a lot harder for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It's really, really hard to rise out of your class that you're born into. So it's it's nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. But I like the fact that Andy's like, yeah, but I'm going to try at least. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ducky's like, well, it is what it is and that's what it is. Yeah, I'm and always like, going to be a shithead and I'm never going to get what I want. So I'm just going to be charming and also the worst. Yeah. But so many uh, so many people really identify with this character even still. And uh, this article from Salon goes on to say, disciples of Ducky, we had it all wrong. No, you don't get to be with the girl of your dreams just because you want to. Mm-hmm. No, you don't get to avoid telling her how you feel and then resent her for showing interest in another guy. No, it's not romantic, but rather a little sad that you can only express how you feel to her father and in charming but empty gestures like lip-syncing Otis Redding's Try a Little Tenderness. And no, you aren't an unsung hero because your dream girl doesn't dream of you. You're a bad best friend for not respecting her decisions and thinking... That means her love for you isn't worth anything. Exactly. And we've talked about that in a few past episodes. Um, For the Sadie Hawkins dance on the Patreon, we covered that with Sex Drive. We covered it with Just Friends. And on the main show, you know, we spent a very long amount of time talking about that in the Jennifer's Body episode with Mm -hmm. Jordan Cruciola. And the whole point is that Andy is pursuing Blaine and her point to Ducky is that, hey, this doesn't change how I feel about you. You're still my best friend. And he's like, yeah, well, I can't like you anymore. And this is all fucked up. And I, I, I don't want this. Mm-hmm. He wants all or nothing. And since he can't, he's just like, well, I'm going to remove myself from this because this is too painful and I deserve this. And now I'm not going to get my way. So I'm just going to pout and throw a tantrum. Right. There's this weird thing that we have culturally where we discount the validity and the intensity of the love we have in relationships that are non-romantic or non-sexual. Yeah. Like the friends that I have that are I consider my best friends, short of you, um, losing that would hurt more than losing literally anybody I've ever dated mm-hmm. in my life. Like I've had some pretty gnarly breakups in the past. None of them would hurt as much as losing my best friend. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is a reality. But for whatever reason we treat like the relationships that we have for like five, six months and those breakups are more sincere or more important than like lifelong friendships. And that's stupid. I think, I, I think that that's such a, archaic way of looking at the love that we have in our lives both to give and to receive well i can if you want to flip that coin blaine's doing the opposite Mm -hmm. he's choosing to not side well i guess by the end of the movie Mm -hmm. he's choosing not to side with his like lifelong best friend because he's a piece of shit right and either you can grow and change 
like Ducky, you know, he gets over his, he gets off his bullshit mm-hmm. and he moves on and then he gets his silver medal of fucking Christy Swanson, which at the time, hey, th- that was, that was great. That was cool. Now, now it's not no, because she's, she's a whack job Trump supporter. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, either you can go ahead and do that and move on or you can just go and be Steph and, you know, I guess go become a fucking corporate senator or whatever you're going to end up doing with yeah. your job with your successful parents. Yeah. So he'll be fine. He'll just be miserable emotionally, but fiscally he'll be fine. Yeah. So there's a lot of parallels in how that works mm-hmm. and amongst like the people around you. In this movie. And I think that's why this kind of works as a total package. Mm -hmm. Like all of the characters feed off of each other super duper duper well. Mm -hmm. And I guess the closest you're going to have to Andy relating to someone is going to be Ayana, who's like her best friend outside of Ducky. Yeah. Like to me, like Ayana is somebody. That's who she wants to be. Yeah. Ayana is. She even gets like a, a Richie landlord type guy who. And I, I think he's a bit of a stiff and she's like, oh, I'm in love and he's very nice and it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love Iona. She is definitely one of the best John Hughes kind of like side characters oh, she's that exists. Fantastic. She's incredible. I love her so much. But I do want to jump back a little bit on the ducky train because going off of your theory that he's queer, which I do agree with mm-hmm. for two reasons one because that's what molly ringwald said because the character um was written based off of somebody who was who was a gay man and this movie was also written you know with molly in mind mm-hmm. so she would know so she would know <laughs> um john crier disagrees john crier's like you know i want there to be more acceptance for you know effeminate kids who just happen to be straight which i also do want i I think that that's great we that's cool we do need more characters i love that but but if ducky the character is straight he's very problematic and is a walking red flag and i don't like him Mm -hmm. if he's queer i can empathize a lot more with what's going on because if he's queer that outburst is one that is out of fear Mm -hmm. because by having andy be his girlfriend he has that beard, which means he has safety, mm-hmm. which means that he can now blend in and be, you know, seen as straight and not get found out as queer. And that is something that you would need, especially in 1986, mm-hmm. because this is not a good time to oh, be yeah. openly queer. No, not in the 80s and no, early this 90s. Is, this, you know, that's pretty much the worst. We're swinging into some of the worst parts of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. So that makes complete sense. Everything about his character reads as somebody who is operating from a place of fear. And it makes those emotional outbursts make sense because fear is one of those emotions that we don't want people to see. So we Mm -hmm. tend to front load it with anger instead. Mm -hmm. Like I think I've used this metaphor before on the show, but if I haven't, that's the reason why if – you're in the middle of class and you ask a student to read and they don't want to read because they either can't and they're afraid that they're going to get made fun of or they're afraid people are going to think that, you know, they're they're stupid or whatever. Instead of saying, no, thank you, I don't want to read, or instead of showing that they're scared to read, they'll get angry and they'll say, fuck this, reading's dumb, I hate reading, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. Because by showing that aggression or that anger – you go, geez, what's their problem? Rather than being like, 
oh, are you scared? Mm-hmm. Because being scared means you're you're vulnerable. If you're angry, then you're tough. Exactly. Yeah. People back away from you when you're angry. People get way closer to you when you're scared because they feel that need to like want to protect you and want to help you. Yes, and uh, Ducky is nothing if not tough. <laughs> Yeah. Like, he gets thrown into the women's room and then tries to, like, smooth talk his way out of it mm-hmm. after, like... When he could have just He could have just left. Which, I do love his conversation being like, you have doors on the stalls? We don't have those. And I'm like, my high school also didn't have doors on the stalls. Which was, like, mind-blowing for me. I was like, what do you mean you didn't have stalls no, you just, in the door? No, you just poop in the open. That's awful. It's very awful. That's why no one would poop at school. Um, and also, they'd make fun of you because your poop smells because you're... Fucking course your poop smells. It's poop. It's yes. That's kind of its job is to smell. But yeah, they were convinced that girls don't smoke in the bathroom, so they can have doors. That's silly. Boys smoke in bathrooms, which means we don't get doors. That's that's very dumb. Yeah, it was extremely stupid. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Ducky gets thrown in there by jocks, and he's just trying to be like, whoa, 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 come on, guys. So like, no, you don't have to beat the show. I mean, it's fine. Like, he's not sticking up for himself because he's just trying to avoid conflict. However, he can't avoid conflict when he's faced with it because Andy likes Blaine. Yeah. There's no way to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, you can love Andy, but that doesn't mean she's going to love you back. I mean, it doesn't mean she won't, but uh, what I'm trying to say is you can't make it happen, you know? It either will or it won't. It's all in the heart. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm cardiovascular. Yeah, I I understand. I've I've been to school. (laughs) So then that's where we get our explosion. And the only other explosion that he we really see is when he does go after Steph. Mm-hmm. And it's because he does care about Andy. And the thing that gets me is that, like, Andy loves Ducky. She mm-hmm. does love him, just not in that romantic sense. Yeah. And it frustrates the hell out of me that you can't just embrace that. Just, like, be okay with the fact that she does care about you. Just because she doesn't want to fuck you doesn't mean that she doesn't appreciate you. So, again, if he's queer... I get this, and mm-hmm. I'm totally okay with it, and I'm actually rooting for Ducky to, like, figure it out and, you know, find a way to be okay. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. But when he's straight, I'm just like, uh, see a therapist, my friend. I mean, some people just aren't good at transitioning how they see you. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast. I've definitely told you this story. But when I was, like, 22, 23, like, I was an adult, mm-hmm. like a young adult, but I was an adult. I had a, a friend and he had a big crush on me and he straight up told me like, oh yeah, the only way that I'm able to get over crushes that I have on people is find something I hate about that person and fixate on it until I hate them. That's not healthy. It's extremely unhealthy. It's probably the worst thing you could do. So it's like, okay, it's cool. So you'd rather hate me than be my friend because I don't want to date you, dude? What the fuck? Yeah, that's... But that's uh, that's the kind of shit that Ducky's kind of doing, where it's like, I'm mad at you because you don't want to date me, so now I'm going to just be like, oh yeah, you're a fucking traitor and this is all your fault. Right. And he he corrects himself, at least by the end of the movie, and that's great. Yes. And he, does have, he does have a little bit of an arc and a little bit of redemption. Mm-hmm. And it just makes the, it makes the story a lot better. It, like, it, it, if Ducky is queer... It just really makes everything more cohesive mm-hmm. and just there's, 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 there's more there's more substance to it. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that there as much as I agree that there is a great need to show characters like this that are straight. Mm-hmm. 
it's more important to show characters like this that are queer because especially in the 80s i think that had ducky been canonically queer it would have been such an important groundbreaking role during a time when we needed it the most i agree especially because this is a girl movie i don't know if a Mm -hmm. lot of guys who are like I want to go see Pretty in Pink. Right. Like, this, there was not a lot, a lot of guys clamoring to go see this in theaters, I don't think. And generally, gay men are a lot more safe in women's spaces like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have your 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 lady friends who are going to kind of look out for you. It's, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. like, dudes are always the ones who are, like, way less receptive to queer things yeah so this would have been a perfectly safe thing for that to happen but i don't know if you'd be able to get away with it for all i know this is this is the 80s it could have been like oh oh that that ducky kid's a fag r rating yeah that's that's a very sad reality to that too which is a a huge bummer Mm -hmm. but i don't know there's something about this movie that has always really resonated well with me and if if anything i wish that this was a series and I know that there's rumors or talks that they're going to remake this as a series, which mm-hmm. I think would be really beneficial. Yeah. Because the one thing that this movie does struggle with, which I think most of, if not all, John Hughes movies struggle with, is I don't know what Blaine and Andy see in each other outside of just like, you're different and cool and attractive and therefore I'm interested. You like me? That means I like you. Which I... On That's one high hand, school. Is a very high school thing, so like I get it, and I can kind of yeah. They end it. up having this big like I love you thing to OMD at the end of the thing, and it's like two has been two weeks. Yeah, one has been two weeks, and I've not really seen much of what makes you two work outside of bickering with each other. But they're not even really bickering that much. Okay, so one of my biggest complaints about my teen movie arch enemy 10 things I hate about you (laughs) was that our two romantic leads didn't have anything in common and their relationship was built on a lie and they, all they did was fight and I didn't get you. Heath Ledger sings a song and then suddenly they're cool with each other. Like that was it. There was a grand romantic gesture and it was fine. In other teen movies, I always question, like, cool, but why are you together? Why is Claire with John Bender? Oh, because it'll piss your dad off? Okay, cool. I can understand that. It's a wrong reason, but I can understand it. Mm-hmm. Why is Blaine with Andy in this movie? And I don't have a great answer for it, mm-hmm. but it's also a pretty fresh relationship, so I can't criticize it that much. Like, mm-hmm. this tracks with some teen teen bullshit. Yeah. And a series, I think, would really help with that. Um, granted, for all I know, the series would build to them to get together, and then it would never ever explore it, and it would just end there. With And then, then it would just defeat right. the whole point. But, but the, the aftermath, like, the growth of this relationship, I think, is something that is really ripe for really good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because since it is dealing with this, you know, classism thing, I want to see what it looks like when Blaine introduces Andy to his parents. Yeah. I want to see what it looks like when Blaine has to have a conversation with Andy's dad. When Blaine figures out just how poor, poor people are. I want to see what happens What do you mean when... you don't have a Mercedes Benz? You've I... <laughs> never gone jet skiing. Hmm. I mean, that's how Steph would talk. I know, Blaine. but like the sentiment of yes. he doesn't realize <laughs> just like the, the the differences between the two I of wanna, them. I want, do you know what I want more than anything? I want to see... Blaine stick up for Ducky 
when Steph's being an asshole in the hallway. Like, I love that. That stuff that I want to see. Then we can see. make Ducky queer because it's 2021 and, and now everything we're has to do queer. That. And now we can finally say the quiet part out loud. Yeah. So that would be great. <laughs> yeah. So I think but that... I, the, I, I would really... I would really love that. I think it'd be probably the best John Hughes property for something like this to get a TV show. Oh, totally. Because I think so much of the stories in John Hughes movies, they live in sort of that bubble. Like the Breakfast Club works so well because it's just about that detention. Mm -hmm. Like anything past that. Oh, yeah. All this is going to fall apart because they have the conversations about how like. Yeah, but if we pass each other in the hall, are we going to say hi after today? Exactly. So it's that's kind of the thing, though, is one, when you're a teen, you're fucking fickle. Mm-hmm. You become obsessed with something or someone or this whatever. This is me now. Yeah, and then two weeks later, you go, mm, yeah, what's the new thing? Mm-hmm. And you move on. But for something like this, I I really like it as that contained story, even though there is this sort of ominous bleakness to a lot of aspects of it. Oh, totally. Where it's like, okay, cool. Well, I would love to see Andy and Blaine have a healthy, flourishing relationship, but Blaine also feels like a good first boyfriend, Mm -hmm. and then she's going to go to college, and they're kind of going to realize that they're kind of different people. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing wrong with either of them. They're just, they'll find better fits. Agreed. And, you know, then you'll have all the shitty rich kids go continue to be shitty rich kids. Ducky's going to now have to figure out how to make something of his life after torpedoing his grades. Hopefully dad's going to turn his life around. Like, there's a lot of bleak things on the horizon. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, people seem happy. And Mm -hmm. I like just this perfect high school yearbook style snapshot of like here's the moment where everything's okay and something that i do like that this movie does is that we see from the get-go that blaine is already kind of a good guy and isn't like steph yes because this is not an example of a movie where and like andy is not a manic pixie dream girl no she is not you know oh well now i've been with this poor artsy girl and now i see the world differently mm-hmm. blaine already kind of sees the world differently he doesn't fully understand it like he's not on like an empathetic level yet but he knows that it exists yeah and i think that that's a really good thing because if andy was this you know person who suddenly changes everything about blaine like blaine changes on his own and like learns to stand up for himself on his own. Mm-hmm. And that I think is so important because once we move forward into things like 500 Days of Summer or whatever, mm-hmm. we. Which we I've never seen. Yeah. It, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we get these characters where these really interesting and cool women only serve to change the perspectives and the lives of these men. And that's not what's happening here. And. If there was one thing that people could have taken from John Hughes movies, why wasn't it this? <laughs> like, it would have been so much better. Like, if we're going to have a movie called 500 Days of Summer, let's focus on summer and not Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But that is <laughs> that is a rant for another day. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we'll get to that one day and I will see what the, what the hubbub is about, bub. <laughs> if you thought you disliked 10 things I hate about you. Woo! Great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I think the really sneaky, stealthy theme of this movie is autonomy, Mm -hmm. but it's like 
hiding under all these layers of other stuff. Like, what's good autonomy? What's bad? What's all of these things of, like, your destiny and then trying to control other people's autonomy and, like, these layers that work amongst these characters and how they relate to each other. Mm -hmm. And... I guess we don't really talk about that because we're fixated on you know the the, the products of that. Right. The uh, the we're not we're not getting to the real core of what's going on with all these characters and their how they interact with each other. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think there's a lot of really really cool stuff going on in this one, and it's just a shame that even 35 years later, this is still sort of the the redheaded stepchild of the trilogy and you just had to say it Daniel. i i had to i've been okay. waiting on it um <laughs> and it doesn't deserve to be if anything this is the one i think we should be talking about more yeah um i mean i can't say whether i like this one or the breakfast club more because i have also haven't seen that one since high school mm-hmm. uh i think that the conversation that comes up the most often when you reference john hughes is how his movies haven't aged well Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's definitely parts that have not aged well. The see the whole sixteen candles episode, or right, and all of his movies are just remarkably white. Yeah. Oh God, yes. But these movies and other teen movies are not really trying to age well. This is this is not a conversation that comes up enough. But it's like, oh no, this genre is all about like what is going on in this exact moment. Mm-hmm. This was so successful because. One, there was apparently a drought of other fucking teen movies at the exact time that this came out. But it's because this was relatable. This felt like teen experiences at the time. Yeah, it's they're trying to capture in a bottle that exact moment of what is cool. Like these are what is Americana for these kind of teens in this kind of story in this moment. And I really think that for a movie like this. I love that it's a little a little clumsy, I guess, mm-hmm. because teenagers are clumsy. Teenagers are clumsy. You can't you can't write them any other way. Like they can be insightful and respectable and all of these other aspects, but y- y- you got a lot of emotions. You have a lot of clumsy. You're a little awkward. That's how all of this works. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just because we're like eh, almost thirty episodes into the this ends at prom universe. But like I'm, I'm like I'm like a neural net processor. I'm learning computer, and I'm starting to like figure out more of the theming of how teen girl films function as mm-hmm. a whole. And I guess I'm just looking at this in a very big picture at the moment. You're learning, and you're applying the things that you've learned. Look that, at you! You're like a little SAT. That sounded so condescending. <laughs> Maybe it's because it was. Mm-hmm. Why you gotta do this to me? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're starting to sort of get a better grasp on a lot of the the formula of teen movies because now you can understand when they work and when they don't. That's that's good. Well, I mean, I've always sort of been able to figure out when they work and when they don't. It's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know why, but I know it when I see it. Yeah, it's like the, I've never, uh, we, we were watching a stand-up thing last night, and it was about somebody talking to parents, and parents are like, you'll never understand unless you have kids, and he's like, I've never flown a helicopter before, but if I see one in a tree, I can say, dude messed up. Yeah. 
I don't need to worry about the inner workings of it to recognize whether it works or doesn't. Yes. <laughs> like I can sort of figure it out, but now I'm like, ah, yes, now I'm getting in relation to other things and teen culture as a whole mm-hmm. and not somebody who learned about teen culture from the 80s. In 2005, (laughs) I'm like now picking up pieces and they're starting to come together more often. So you're starting to get there. But if there's if there's also one thing that I want to highlight before we sort of wrap things up. What I like most, like top tier most about this movie is that Andy doesn't change who she is to get the guy. Nope. She still is making her clothes and tears apart two different dresses to make a lace and polka dotted nightmare that only Molly Ringwald can pull off. She destroyed two better dresses to make that dress. Yes. And it is kind of looks like a little bit of like a wrapping paper tube with a sleeves. It's not with a high high lace neck that the only part of it that drives me nuts is that the lace is sewn to the outside of you know, the the polka dotted, you know, choker top, which I understand it's so that you're not having lace just like itch the shit out of your neck. But I hate that I can see it. It I, has a homemade charm that way. I know. It's cute. But I'm all, like the whole time just like, I just want to tuck those edges underneath real bad. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> as far as a look and as far as like an iconic prom dress goes, I like it in this context on Molly Ringwald. I hate it on its own. Yes. It looks so bad. <laughs> yes, I agree. But it's it's hers. It's it's very Andy. And exactly. And I think that that's cool. We didn't have a lot of like kind of thriftiness yet. Not until like the 90s did you get more of like that build your own style kind of style in, uh, in our teen girl heroes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that takes us out on Pretty in Pink, so... Harmony, Pretty in Pink is asking you to the prom because this movie does end at prom. One of the few that does end at a prom. Actual prom. Usually they end up uh, at a different dance. (laughs) Yeah. So Pretty in Pink's asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? It is a definite yes. Awesome. I... Don't really know if I have any additional notes to write on it. I think I've pretty much disclosed most of my feelings that I have in the episode already. But uh, if if they play Otis, love Otis. My mother used to play him for me all the time. <laughs> she didn't. My mom has worse taste than that. But if if they played Otis at the prom, oh, I would I would give just that kind of a performance. That much chutzpah on it. Would you really like to know why that performance would be so good? Yes. Because Ducky's dance of Try a Little Tenderness was choreographed by Kenny Ortega, a.k.a. the director of Hocus Pocus and High School Musical. Ah. <laughs> uh, just, just, just the peak greatness of a human being. Bless him. <laughs> bless him bless. for giving John Cryer more charisma in that one scene that he had in all of two and a half men. <laughs> to be fair, the bar for that is so low, it's in hell. I know. Like, he's the straight man. He's supposed to be boring as shit on two and a half men. But, God, if you just look at John Cryer in this movie, you have such a lofty expectations for his career. And he does not meet them. <laughs> no. He no, peaked in high school. <laughs> oh. 
Sorry, Ducky. No, Ducky's great. Sorry, John Cryer. <laughs> You're just Ducky. Um, okay, that's, that's just fine. who he is to me forever. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I guess it's time for us to say goodbye this week. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? I am also on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for letting us use title for our theme song. They have a new album out. It's called Cloth Bound. It is fucking awesome. Give it a listen. Yeah, uh, I believe that they recently posted at the time of recording that Clothbound has been streamed like 300,000 times. So that's great for them. That is like so fantastic. I love that. Yeah. So huge thank you to everyone for listening in as always. And we hope that you will save the last dance for us. (laughs) Until next time. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.